Let's join our hearts in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, there are lots of words, lots of greetings, lots of singing at this time of the year, and we're grateful that so much of it revolves around you and your grace and mercy in Jesus. Help us now in this time to be very attentive to your word, to, that it would burrow into our hearts and minds and lives, uh, that ever greater faith and faithfulness would well up, greater faith and faithfulness filled with great joy. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. When Stephen Sample was president of USC, he wrote a book, A Contrarian's Guide to Leadership. And one of the points that he made in A Contrarian's Guide to Leadership was that sometimes you should put off till tomorrow what you could do today. I meant to mention something like that last week. It's kind of the opposite of what your moms and dads said. They said, do today what you, what you can. Uh, but he said, sometimes you ought to put off till tomorrow what you can. Because from a leadership standpoint, in fact, some things kind of work themselves out without having to busy yourself about it. It might be good leadership advice, but it's horrible advice when it comes to the kingdom of God. And that's what we were looking at last week, that, that today is the day of salvation. We don't want to put off the Christian faith. You know, once I get done with high school, then I'll pay attention. Or once I get done with my degree, or once I've raised my family, once I have time on my hands, then I'll get serious about Jesus. No, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to follow Jesus. That's not great advice what he had as far as it goes with the Christian faith. But he had another piece of advice. And uh, he said a, a second piece of advice in his Contrarian's Guide to Leadership was, don't read any book that's not at least 50 years old except for the one he'd just written, <laughs> not, not counting that one. Uh, but his point was that you should wait until time passes and see what proves to be true. Don't read all the latest books. Read old stuff because the old stuff now has been verified by history. And you can see uh, by reading older stuff what's really true. Today we're looking at words from earlier much earlier. The words we're going to look at today are far more than 50 years old. We're going to look at some words of the prophets. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series, A Backwards Christmas, and we're moving backwards in time. We started the first Sunday in Advent at the end of time. Last week we moved back to the time of, uh, of Jesus on the face of the earth, real time. Uh, we looked at now is the day of salvation, now is the time of salvation. Today we're moving further back in time, into the time and into the days of the prophets. Uh, words far more than 50 years old, words that help prove true that Jesus is the one in whom we should have our hope. John was in prison, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, Herod had imprisoned him because he had uh, criticized Herod for taking his brother's wife. That was against God's will, and so he was thrown in prison. And you can imagine uh, John the Baptist in prison becoming concerned, uh, maybe becoming disillusioned, disappointment. Yeah, I, I thought he was the one. Uh, I thought there were these prophecies about what he was going to come to do and give this uh, new life to us. And, and here I am cooling my heels in prison. Maybe he's not the one after all. And so he sent a delegation to Jesus and, and the delegation said to Jesus, are you the coming one, or should we look for another? And Jesus told them to take these words back to John. Words about what he was doing at the time, but words 
that had come from the prophet from much earlier. He said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. How do we know that Jesus is the coming one? How do we know that Jesus is the one in whom we ought to believe? Because he fulfills the words of the prophets. Words spoken not 50 years, but hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. As we look at the Old Testament, there are all kinds of prophecies that get fulfilled. I've got different kinds of prophecies I want to mention to you this morning. These might not be the most technical definitions, different kinds of prophecies, but there are a number of different prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Some of them are action prophecies where the prophet said these things are going to happen. Like this one, this is from Isaiah chapter 35. It's, he said, uh, uh, Isaiah said, Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. This is what Jesus was pointing to. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. These are the words that Jesus was pointing John the Baptist to. And then this is from Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. There are any number of these kind of action prophecies that get fulfilled in Jesus. We think about being born of a virgin. We think about being born in Bethlehem. Once we get on to Lent, we'll look at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and all of the prophecies about crucifixion and death and placed in a rich man's tomb and and how they cast lots for his, his clothing. All of these prophecies are ways that you and I can be certain that Jesus is the one in whom we ought to trust. But there's more than just action prophecies. We might say there are something, I'm calling them relationship prophecies. Uh, you know how people are very interested in their genealogies, and you trace their genealogy backwards, and people are very interested in that. What if you could trace your genealogy forward? What if you could predict what the genealogy was going to be? That's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It had been predicted, it had been prophesied that he would come from Abraham. Uh, God had said to Abraham, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That, that some descendant of Abraham was going to come and be a blessing for the whole world. Uh, think about uh, Jacob, or Judah. Uh, uh, Judah, not the firstborn of the sons of Israel, but it was Judah through whom the prophecy continued. It was said about Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, that there would be an eternal king that would come out of the loins of Judah and David. You know, David was going to build a house for, for God. He said, let me build a house. And God said, you're, you're not going to build me a house. He said, I'm going to build a house for you. And he said, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. We're always interested when we can trace back our genealogy it's interesting that we can be certain that Jesus is the one whom we ought to hope because his genealogy was given in advance. And this is what Matthew and Luke in their Gospels go to great pains to explain how indeed the Messiah came from Abraham and from Judah and from David. All kinds of prophecies. How do we know he's the one? Well, look at these words from much earlier. 
And then there are some other prophecies that they're called typological or typology prophecies. These are things that are similar to or prefigurements of things that might have happened in and through Jesus' ministry. For instance, leprosy being healed. I put an asterisk on that one. Uh, you know, in the, in, when Jesus said, go tell John what you see, and one of the things that, that he was doing was healing leprosy, I couldn't find a specific prophecy in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come to heal the lepers. I don't think there is one. But there are examples in the Old Testament where God is healing lepers, and that helps to prefigure that, that the Messiah would do the same kinds of things. Like Naaman was healed from his leprosy. And there was Moses. Do you remember Moses put his hand into his coat? brought it out, it was leprous, he put it back in, brought it out, and it was healed. Uh, Moses is really a type of Jesus. There's uh, uh, Melchizedek, the Jesus would be like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this odd guy that just kind of showed up and started talking to Abraham. Uh, his name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Jesus came to bring righteousness. He was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. How often did Jesus say, Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. And, and Melchizedek was kind of odd because he just showed up and then went away. It was kind of thought that, that he was eternal. He had no beginning and he had no end. And in Hebrews it says that's a picture of Jesus. That Jesus is like Melchizedek. No beginning, no end. He brings righteousness and peace. It, it's like the offering of Isaac. Abraham was to take Isaac up and to offer him. And just before he was going to slay him, God intervened. And do you remember he had said, Abraham had said to Isaac, uh, the Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. It all comes together in Jesus. Jesus, Abraham's greater son. Uh, Jesus, the one that indeed the Father does offer up, is the sacrifice for our sins. Think about Joseph being sold into slavery. Uh, Joseph was sold for a few pieces of silver by his brothers. And remember how that scene ends when he finally rescues him. He says, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. It's a type of Christ who was sold by Judas. Judas meant it for ill, but God meant it for good, having raised Jesus up again. The Passover lamb, they were to kill this lamb and put the blood of the, door, of the lamb on the doorposts of the heart house and the uh, angel of death would come and wherever there was blood nobody would die in that house the firstborn would be spared Jesus is that lamb for us John the Baptist said behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the blood of Jesus has been poured out for you and me by faith Jesus blood is upon us and the angel of death passes over us and we are forgiven there's the rescue from Egypt God is always bringing his people out of Egypt uh, Abraham went down to Egypt and had to come out. Uh, Moses uh, brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And, and always God is bringing his people out of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of bondage. Egypt is a picture of slavery. And God is always rescuing his people from Egypt. You know what happened to Jesus when Herod was killing the babies and they had to flee to Egypt. And they stayed in Egypt until Herod died. And then they came out and it says, so that the scripture would be fulfilled out of Egypt, I have called my son. And Jonah returning alive. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except Jonah. For just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man. 
All of these are, are prophecies. All of these are prefigurements so that you and I can be certain that Jesus is the coming one. He is the one in whom we are to have hope for life, for forgiveness, and for everlasting life. Gaudate Sunday. Gaudate Sunday. The word Gaudate is a Latin word. It's the Latin word for rejoice. It comes from that Philippians 4 passage we had read earlier where it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Gaudate Sunday. Rejoice. I don't think John was rejoicing. John was imprisoned. John was going to lose his head. Bad things were ahead for John. And John was discouraged. John was having his doubts. Here's what it says. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you in a prison today? Are things not working out for you how you thought they were going to work out? You know, John was all set for the coming one to come and take care of all these things and to bring righteousness and, and clean out the threshing floor. And it wasn't working out the way John had expected. He was suffering and more troubled than he thought he would be. Are you in some kind of a prison? Is there something that's not working out the way you thought it would work out? Is there some kind of suffering going on that you think just isn't right, isn't fair? We are called upon to trust in Jesus as the coming one. And indeed to rejoice. To rejoice always. Even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our difficulty, we are to have assurance that Jesus is the coming one. And that he's coming back again. And that's when he's going to make it all right. In the meantime, we hope, but he will come back and set all things aright. I want to encourage you in the meantime to find strength in the Old Testament. Uh, Stephen Sample said, uh, don't trust books that are less than 50 years old, that, that you want history to prove the truth of things. Uh, today we're going to be encouraging you to be a Bible reader. We do that a lot around here, read the Bible. And, and that should include the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with you and me reading the Old Testament. It's rich with all kinds of prophecies to show us about Jesus. I know it's long. I know it can be laborious. I know there can be some confusing things about it. But I want to encourage you to find strength in the Old Testament. And the good news there, remember what Jesus said. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He said, and it's they that testify about me. He was talking about the Old Testament. And so as you plan to have a Bible reading plan, uh, this year. Make sure it includes some from the Old Testament. In the meantime, watch your step in your imprisonment. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Watch your step. <laughs> well, that's what Jesus said. Listen. He said, blessed, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The word therefore offended is the word scandalized. He says, blessed is the one that, that's not scandalized, that doesn't stumble, that doesn't get tripped up by me. He was encouraging John to hang in there, even though it wasn't working out how he ex expected it. And so too you, in your imprisonments, in your difficulties, in your strugglings, in the things that aren't working out the way you'd like them to work out. Watch your step. Don't stumble. Continue to trust. Continue to believe that Jesus is the coming one. And wait on him. Wait on the coming one to return. Uh, when, when he came... 
He took care of some of the things he was going to do. He set things right. He brought forgiveness of sin. He ushered in his kingdom. But he's coming back again. And it's going to be the culmination of his every promise. And he will set things all right. And you and I will be with him in glory always. We wait for him and trust in his word. And it's because of that that indeed we can rejoice in the Lord always. I want to encourage you this Advent season and beyond to rejoice in the Lord. You don't have to be crazy about the things going on around you. Uh, You don't have to be thrilled with what goes on politically or what goes on socially or what goes on morally. You don't have to be thrilled with all those things, but to rejoice in the midst of it. Because Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He came to rescue you. He came to bring peace between you and the Heavenly Father. And He's coming back to take you and me to be with Him in glory always. Rejoice. Amen.